introduction <coughs> there. Um, also, before we get started, let me, let me say, I know because we're just kind of regathering, and, and for some maybe who are guests, my name's Lloyd Shadrach, one of the teaching pastors alongside Rob Sweet. So you know what, Fellowship Better Together Team Ministry for us is fundamental core value. So, so Rob's teaching at Brentwood Congregation. I'm teaching here today, and we go back and forth, a team in the pulpit. Just a little bit about us. One more thing about us in terms of family. I want to take a moment uh, to pray for Luke this morning. So Sandy down here with the crew, um, Luke, the kidney stone, got him into the hospital last night at one, something like that. And um, I told someone, by the way, Sandy, I said, when they told me that you were here, I said, my wife wouldn't be here if she took me to the hospital at one. <laughs> here you are. But how can we pray? And I know they can't hear you, but just the... His pain is pretty bad. Like, okay. I have a hard time managing that. So okay. And they can't do the procedure until tomorrow. Okay. Pain management, uh, kidney stones, severe pain, and they're having trouble managing it. Cannot do the surgery, you know, the treatment per se, till tomorrow. So let's join with the whole Latrell clan, um, but our, uh, as a family, let's pray for Luke. Would you join me in that? Father, I'm glad Sandy and the kids are here today. I know they had a rough night, morning, and some tough days ahead. May your grace be tangibly real to them. We pray for Luke right now, the pain I'm in trouble managing. Would you give these doctors and this team wisdom and what, what to give him, what will work, what will relieve that pain in the interim until they can do a treatment tomorrow and may this stone pass again without, without further deepening pain. We pray for no complications, no, no, um, no problems to arise and in this wilderness that they're in as a family right now, shape Christ in them. I know that is Luke's prayer and we join him in it now. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, if you have your Bibles, let's open them and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, it's the sixth message in our series, The Wilderness Where God Shapes His People. You all by way of review, it's a reminder we're, we're tracking Israel as they've come out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. Uh, there is this space in between called the wilderness. And, and, and what we note is biblically in terms of redemptive history, which we're gonna dive into in a moment, um, what happens in the wilderness is God's intentional work to shape them more and more into who they already are, really important. They're God's people, and they're becoming more and more like that through the wilderness. And in the same way, for you and I in the wilderness of life, which by the way, we live in this wilderness now, we're not in the promised land yet, but all the wildernesses of life, specifically and in the context of all of life, God uses difficulties, health, financial, emotional, relation, all, all the challenges of life, injustice, all these things to shape us more and more, listen to this, into who we already are. If we've trusted Christ, we become more and more like Jesus. Now, last week, Rob, Rob picked up the story at Exodus 17, and this was the first, you know, this was the first fight they had, you know, literal military campaign 
against the Amalekites. And, and you remember when as Rob taught that, that he, he reminded us, you know how, you know, when you watch a movie, it's where the camera is, is where the action is, right? Well, the action, the camera lens was not on the battlefield where, where Joshua was fighting. I mean, people were dying down there, but that's not where the camera was. The camera was up on the hill where Moses was. And Aaron and her were holding up his arms, holding the staff of God, symbolic of arms up, staff of God. God, we're depending on you to win the battle. Arms tired, arms down. Lord, we're depending in our own strength. It's just a, it's a very beautiful picture, is it not, of how, how God's people fight their battles. Dependent on God, not dependent upon God. Now, from that battle with the Amalekites, they move south. They're moving south in the Triangle of Sinai. They're down here now at Mount Sinai. Exodus 19.2 says they camp before the mountain while Moses went up to God. Now, we're gonna pause here for a moment because they actually stay at Mount Sinai, y'all, for a year. So just, just that information should kind of clue us in and say, there's some really important stuff that God needs to communicate if he keeps them there for a year. And indeed there is perhaps nothing more foundational than what we come to today when God gives them what we know as the 10 commandments. Uh, what the Hebrew literally says is the 10 words, the 10 words. Now, this is arguably the most, you know, Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. Just go around the world and say, what do you know about this journey through the wilderness? Apart from it, the crossing of the Red Sea, it's the 10, com oh, that's where they got the 10 commandments. So it's probably the, the, the best known. I might suggest it's the most misunderstood moment in their journey through the wilderness. And to misunderstand it is to misapply it and to misapply it is catastrophic. Uh, when they get the law, when, when, when we don't understand why God gave them that law, um, here's what's at stake. Like, you know, they may be a delivered people, they're no longer in bondage, but their life will be like bondage. And it's, just, it's true for you and I, can I say this? If, if, if you and I come out of bondage to sin, and I'm gonna unpack that in a few moments, but we misunderstand, misapply the law, I'm gonna tell you, you, you may be free, but your life experience will be like you are making more bricks with less straw in your journey of faith. So without hyperbole, I can say this, what's at stake in the law is a matter of life and death. Now I'm gonna take the text a little differently. What we read when we see our text, when we saw our text today, we saw the 10 words, the 10 commandments. You know, I don't, I don't know that many people can just name all 10, we can probably get parts of them, but. I wanna suggest that our greatest problem is not in understanding the 10 commandments. You know, or it, 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 it really lies at a, at a higher level and that would be in understanding the purpose of the 10 commandments and why God gave them. And that's where I want us to go today. We're gonna to pull up to 30,000 feet 
And we're just gonna look down on redemptive history from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we're gonna track how God is, is gonna redeem his people. And at this moment in time, he gives them the law. Well, why did he give it to them at that moment in time? What was the reason for the law? Now, just to show you that I, I don't think our problem, quite frankly, is, you know, you know what is, what's the law mean and keeping it per se, and, or can't, not keeping it is the issue and why I'm not gonna take them one by one, though they matter though they remain in force. Uh, let, let me illustrate the problem in this way. I want everybody to put your Bibles down and everyone to stand just for a moment. You're not gonna be standing long. You're not gonna stand long. We're just gonna stand and you're gonna have to listen to my instructions on this. Adults, kids, all the way down, we're all standing right now. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna take just one of the laws, okay? And, and we're gonna see how we're doing on this. I'm gonna take the, uh, the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Now, in the Hebrew, do you know what that means? Take a guess. You shall not steal. You know, this is why I'm saying the law is like, oh, I get that. Don't take what is not yours. That, that's just fundamental, is it not? But, it, but you know, you gotta go under that. Go, don't take what's not yours ever. And so it's not just don't take, don't steal a piece of candy from the store. It's don't take something from someone that's not yours to take. And it's not just the material taking. How about this? Don't take time from another person that's not yours to take. How about in the workplace? Don't, you know, I've done, you know, when I'm ordering online something I want from home, but I'm on, the, I'm on work time, what is that? What, what is that? Taking something, so, so with that said, if you've never ever broken the eighth commandment, okay? You can remain standing. But if you've broken it, you gotta sit down, okay? Now, is anybody still standing? Because one person remained standing. I had to take a couple more laws to that person last service. No, 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 no. But, but I think honestly, I, I think honestly we could go there because even if I took the, the commandment, don't lie, who could remain standing, and then we're gonna see as Jesus unpacks, you know, the, the commandments in a sense, he goes way deeper, right? Jesus says, don't kill. And so if I said, if you've never killed anyone, you know, then, then you can uh, remain standing, otherwise sit down. We'd all be standing and probably, we never literally murdered someone, but what does Jesus say about that? It's not just, have you ever murdered? Yeah, yeah, you pointed out, yeah, it's like, uh, have, you ever thought, have you ever thought an evil thought towards someone? Have you ever been mean to someone? Well, then you gotta sit down because that's the heart and that's where the law goes. And so you see the, 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 the Ten Commandments, we get it, we get that. What's the, what's the how did we, why did God give it? What's the purpose of the law? By the way, you know James will go on to say this, if you break one, how many have you broken? Say it. Yeah, see, they're one. It's the, this is the law, the character of God. Break one, you've broken the whole of the law. Now, I wanna draw a chart. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna draw a chart up here that's gonna um, really in kind of in an ugly way, but it's gonna just remind us that this redemptive story, deliverance, wilderness, promised land is our story. And then I'm gonna lay the law on it and we're gonna see some very, very important things about the law of God. Now, when we look at this story, we will note this, that it is 
Israel's redemption. And there are three parts to this story. They are in Egypt. They're in the wilderness. And they're going to the promised land. In Egypt, they are in bondage. God delivers them out of bondage to freedom. Now they're free in relationship with God. And do you know they're headed toward the promised land where it's not just their, the freedom, but it is the, we'll call it the fullness of being in relationship with God. Now, based on the story, and, and you're looking at it in chart form, they were this bondage. They, they are delivered from that bondage to freedom. They're God's people, and they're moving towards fullness of being in relationship with God. I'm gonna ask you a question. It's not a trick question at all. Did the Israelites have to keep the law in order to be delivered from bondage? What's the answer? No, no, this is so fundamental, y'all. Is it, is, is it not? It's like God didn't say to them, now here's, you know, the 10 commandments, by the way, are one of 613. You know, that's why they were there for a year. There's a lot more stuff coming. But God didn't say, keep these 10 rules and I will deliver you. No, God out of his mercy and grace of his own free will redeemed his people from bondage. So it's after out of bondage, he gives them the law. Not in order to be redeemed. Now, one of the ways we, we misunderstand the law, and boy, what I'm gonna go into right now, y'all, this would take you know months to unpack, and I'm just getting the bare essence of this when we think of the law. But when, when, we, when we think of why he gave the law there, we've gotta think about redemptive history that God made a promise to Abraham, a land, a people, a blessing for all. And, and Abraham's clan went into Egypt because of a famine. And now, you know what? What's happening now in our story is there are 2.4 million of those Hebrew people. And God has brought them out of bondage. They're his people. And he is now constituting them as a nation. And what does a nation need? Every nation, every his ancient nation, you know, to today. Well, they need a constitution of sorts. This is what makes you distinct from all other nations, this constitution, these guidelines for life with me. And so when you look at the law, the law is given as their constitution. And now they are, a na they are his nation among all other nations. Only they live under this constitution if you will. Now, one of the things that we can miss is, and, and by the way, historians have shown that you know, ancient nations had constitutions that had parts, just like our constitution has parts. And there is this thing called a preamble, the beginning of the constitution, and there's a preamble to the law. It's chapter 20, verses one and two. I want you to look at it. I want you to note that 
as Moses records it, and God spoke all these words saying, this is the preamble to the law, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am Yahweh. This is, this is the name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, who am I gonna say is sent me? Yahweh, the, the one who always has been, who always is, who always will be. The self-sufficient God, the only God, Yahweh. I am your God, Elohim. The, the proper name of, of God used in our Bibles, the sense of, I am the creator, the, the, the sustainer, the only God who rules the universe. I am your God. In other words, I, you are mine. I am yours because of what I've done. And what has he done? He says, I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What I want us to see is that before God ever speaks the law, he's delivered them. He's redeemed them. He makes them his people. And so I just wanted to note here, they are a delivered, redeemed people. And then God gives them the law. Now, I said earlier that the story that we're, the redemptive story of redemptive history is our own. Well, Lord, what do you mean it's our own? Well, it's our own because you see, all of us are born into bondage to sin. We, we come, we're born slaves to sin in, in our fallenness. God redeems us. Those, when we put our trust in Christ, we are redeemed from bondage and we, it, we are now living in freedom of relationship with God and each other. And y'all, we're not there yet, but we are promised a promised land where the fullness of life with God in Christ awaits us. Everybody with me so far? So it's, it's our own story. And, and, and what I wanna say here, it's the story of salvation. And when we say the word salvation, it's very common to go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm saved. My salvation is I've put my trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so when I die, I'm going to heaven. Well, salvation is, 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 is more comprehensive than that, if I may say so. And it's actually pictured in the redemptive story. So what I want you to see here is our salvation means that when it comes to sin, we have been in Christ justified. What do you mean? Well, God has made a judicial ruling that because you've trusted Christ, you are now declared uh, you know, righteous in Jesus because Jesus paid the penalty. So we're justified. This is something that happens the moment you put your trust in Christ. But, but we, we now live life as Christians and, and, and we live life because God, we experience walking with him. We are sanctified. What does that mean? We're sanctified. It means that through our lifetime, we become more and more like who we are. We're, we're, we're children of God. We're sanctified. And our future, we're not there yet, by the way, but you will one day be fully 
glorified. Now, what I want you to note is when you say the word salvation, you understand it's all one package. So, so in the midst of sanctification, you and I, as those who follow Christ, we can find ourselves going, I don't know if I'm gonna make it because I'm a mess. I don't know if I'm gonna make it to glorified. Well, let me tell you something. If you have truly put your faith in Christ and been justified, your glorified is as certain as your justified because you can't separate them out. Does that make sense? So this is our great hope, our salvation. That Yes, I'm, in a, I'm a mess right now. I still sin. I, in Christ Jesus, I'm justified, sanctified, and one day will be fully glorified. So then you ask the question, I think it's fair, then why the law? Here's where I'm getting very granular, and there's more to this. What's the purpose of the law for the Christian? When we come to the New Testament, Paul explains multiple places, but I'm only gonna go to Galatians 3. And I'm, gonna go, I'm just gonna go to Galatians 3.19. For here, Paul writes and says, why then the law? Oh, thank you, Paul. Why then the law? And he says, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring, that, that word is literally until the seed, male person, should come to whom the promise has been made. The Greek says literally this, and, and this will kind of help us understand it. It says, the law was added for the sake of defining sin. Hmm. So, so God gives the law to define sin. Let, let, let me unpack that further. Paul says in Romans 7, 7, had it not been for the law, Paul himself says, I would not have known sin. What does he mean? Imagine you're driving around this afternoon down in you know, South Williamson County, enjoying the scenery, Sunday drive. You're doing 55 miles an hour, just cruising. 10, 15 minutes go by and you happen, nothing changes in the scenery, but you happen to pass a sign. And the sign says 35 miles an hour. Well, all the sign has done, the sign has shown you, you're a lawbreaker. That's what it did. It, it, you know, like you're going along for 20 minutes breaking the law because it's been 35 miles an hour the whole time, but you, you're a lawbreaker, but you don't know it. But suddenly when you see the sign, you go, I'm a lawbreaker and I have been breaking the law the whole time. Well, the law is doing what God intended it to do, showing you and me we're lawbreakers. In the same way that we all sat down under the law, we did. We sat down, he says, I'm a lawbreaker. I've broken it. I've broken all the law. Now, God's moral law, I'm talking about that aspect of the law here, has always been in place. It's not that, it's not that there was no such thing as sin and then God gives the law here at this time in redemptive history. You've got to remember, no, the moral law is in place because God is and always has been, and he's a mor he himself is morality unto himself. And in the garden, Adam and Eve knew what? 
right from wrong, you see? They knew that. It's here in, in terms of redemptive history being unpacked, God now gives the law. Martin Luther helps us here. He says the principal point, therefore, of the law in true Christian theology is to make people not better, but worse. <laughs> See, this is where we can be confused. God gave us the law to make us a better people. No, he gave you the law to show you how bad, how messed up we are. That is to say, it shows them their sin so that they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, broken, and by this means be driven to and seek comfort in that blessed seed. Well, that's what Paul said in Galatians, that the law defines transgressions until the promised seed. Y'all, this is not a trick question. Who is the promised seed? Who is it? Y'all, it's Jesus, see, it's Jesus. In showing us our sin, the law becomes, in the words of Paul, he says it this way, you know, the law is a school teacher. The law is a tutor. What is a tutor? It shows us something. And it shows us not just, look, the law comes along and says, do you see, you're here, here's the law. Do you see how far you are from the law? Yeah, that's what, gosh, the law is beyond... The law also shows us that we can never meet it. Wait a minute. Are you saying God gave them something that they could never achieve? Exactly. It's what the Bible says. He gave them the law, show them this, and to show them they could never, ever do it. And I'm gonna tell you something. When the law has done its work and continues to do its work in you and I, you and I will get to the place where we're at this, you know, we'll get to the place of, I, I can't do it. I can't keep the law. And when we get there, we are at the place of grace. We are at the place that the law intends to take us so that we would look not to ourselves to try and keep it, but we'd go, I need a law keeper. I need God to do what I could never do. Keep the law perfectly on my behalf. And at that point, the spirit opens our eyes to the seed that was promised. Because what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do regarding the law, y'all? He kept it perfectly on our behalf. See, so the law, it's like the law crushes us. And oh, what a gracious crushing. And it shows us that the issue is not fundamentally our behavior. It's our heart Our fallen hearts are bent upon sin and will remain bent upon sin until God graciously gives us a new heart, which he does in Christ, which is free. But that which is free must be wanted. Do you know what I'm saying? There's free stuff out there all the time, but if you don't want it, you don't take it. The gospel 
is free, but a fallen heart won't want it until the law has crushed it. Does that make sense? So the law makes us want grace. Hallelujah. I mean, it's mind boggling to me, the wisdom and the mystery of grace. Let me state the lesson of the giving of the law like this. The law is given not to deliver us from bondage, but to show us we can't deliver ourselves. Thank you for the law. Said another way, the law, God gave the law in order to crush out of us any and all notions that we could achieve righteousness by our own self-efforts. Thank you, God, for the law. Said a third way, God gave the law to show us our need for Jesus. Thank you, God, for the law.